it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 483 for April 17th, 2017. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, I'm delighted to have on the show Dave Peck, co-founder of the VPN service I use, Cloak. Welcome to the show, Dave. Thanks, Allison. It's great to be here. So I don't normally bring vendors on uh, the show to talk about their products, so I'm going to sneak in some gushing about why I love Cloak, but we're really going to talk about <laughs> VPNs in general because it seems to be a bit of a hot topic right now, right? Yeah, absolutely, especially after the um, ISP regulation repeal in the United States. Yeah. So, Seems to be on tip of everyone's tongue. Yeah, yeah. So I thought maybe somebody who does VPNs for a living would really would really know uh, a lot about this. But I, I was wondering, could you level set people to what a VPN service is and what it does and maybe explain how Cloak works in to fill this need? Just just kind of a the elevator pitch that you give to people on what a VPN is in case anybody isn't hasn't been keeping up with that. Sure. Well, VPN stands for virtual private networking, which is a bunch of gobbledygook. The simple answer is that what a VPN does is it encrypts all your data before it leaves your network. Uh, And if you're using a personal VPN service, most likely before it leaves your device, like your iPhone or your Mac. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it sends that encrypted data out to uh, a VPN server somewhere in the cloud. Uh, Most VPN companies, including Cloak, run very large global VPN networks. Uh, And the idea is that uh, by encrypting your data when it leaves your device, presumably between you and the VPN provider, uh, you have a completely secure connection. And so if you're worried about the security of the local network that you're using, for example, if you're at a coffee shop, an airport, a hotel, or a conference, and you don't know who's using the Wi-Fi network that you're using, or if you don't know who runs the Wi-Fi network that you're using, a VPN might be a useful tool to add a layer of protection to your connectivity. I like to explain to to people that it's like if some bad guy were sitting in your house with you, that is what could be happening on a free and open Wi-Fi network in a hotel or a coffee shop or an airport, right? I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, when you think about it, Wi-Fi is radio signals and pretty much anybody who's in the area can listen in. Um, And then it's just a question of, well, what exactly are you sending over uh, the network? And uh, there's a lot of stuff today. You know, there's a move on the Internet at large to move towards using uh, protocols like HTTPS everywhere. Uh, but the fact of the matter is we aren't really there today. And so a lot of what we do online is still unencrypted. Uh, and of course, anybody else who's near you on the Wi-Fi network can listen in. Uh, and that's is where it VPN just Wi-Fi? comes useful. Or if you're on hotel wired network, would it be the same problem? It would potentially be the same problem. Yes. Okay. Cause you're on the I, same I like subnet use- basically. Yeah, we, you know, when we started Cloak, we we um we primarily used Wi-Fi as the example because we thought that was the one that was gaining the the most traction. But absolutely, it would, it would apply equally. Anytime you're using a network where you don't know the operator or you don't know the other people sharing the network with you, it's potentially a problem. Years and years and years ago, there was a, a video done by the Lab Rats, and uh, it, it was a it was a funny show. Uh, I think it was based in Canada. Anyway, the guys took a plexiglass box and they filled it with kittens. And then they had a hole on either side of the of the the plexiglass box. And the one guy shoved his arm through covered in peanut butter. And the kittens, of course, run up and they're licking all over his his arm. And then he put a a plastic tube through that hole and then shoved his arm covered in peanut butter through and the kittens couldn't get to the peanut butter. And it was such a great visual representation of what a VPN tunnel is. That's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, that's that's about the funniest uh, visualization I've ever heard. <laughs> I've got to see if that video is still online. Um, Sean and Andy did that and it was it was just hilarious. And it, but it's always stuck with me because whenever I hear a VPN <laughs> tunnel, I picture these kittens not getting to the peanut butter. <laughs> so you said something about when you were talking about the stuff that is encrypted. Today, if I go, if I launch my email client on a Mac or on an iPhone, that's already encrypted, right? Probably. I mean, if you're talking to, say, Gmail uh, as your email provider, that's certainly going to be an encrypted communication. Uh, Some of the larger ISPs that also offer email uh, addresses, like if you have an at earthlink.net or Comcast uh, email address, they may or may not be using encryption for their connectivity. So it's Um, not the client. It's the, the server side that matters whether you're encrypted or not. Yeah, if you're worried about like your email flying around in transit, then you you definitely want to make sure that your mail provider offers uh, uh, SSL encryption on your email, uh, and I, that's pretty common these days. What if I'm connecting uh, when I first make the connection? Though I'm not using my email yet, isn't my username and password going in the clear? 
Um, that's a good question. Uh, if you are not using an encrypted connection with your email provider, then yes, your username and password is effectively going in the clear. Uh, uh, that's obviously not a very good thing. But in the case of something like Gmail, your username and password is encrypted. That's right. Yeah, you establish a secure connection before you send your credentials over. Oh, okay. Okay, well, yeah. I feel a little bit better about that. I, I've always wondered yeah. about that uh, that little question. So. I do want to talk a little bit about Cloak. Just I know before we started, Dave said, we don't need to talk about Cloak, but I want to talk about Cloak. <laughs> so I'm going to gush about it. The reason I really like Cloak is because I don't have to think about it. I put it on my devices. You pay one fee. It's 10 bucks a month for unlimited access. Is that right? 10 bucks a month or like $92 a year if you sign up for a year, I think. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think it's 10 bucks a month or a uh, hundred bucks a year right now. Yeah. Uh, and that's for unlimited secure data. And mm-hmm. so, and it's for all of Steve and my devices. So it's for both of our Mac or well, all three of our Macs. Steve has two, uh, both of our iPhones, both of my iPads, all of those devices are secure. And as soon as I connect to any network that's not trusted, it just it automatically kicks in. So I walk into Starbucks, boom, I'm on the VPN. I'm not fooling around with pushing weird buttons for, you know, I, I'm just not messing around with it. I just did a review yesterday, though, of an IoT device. And what always throws us when, when you set up an IoT device, you have to connect to the IoT's built-in network. And every hmm. single time we forget to turn off Cloak and we're going, why isn't this working? <laughs> because it's so good it goes on automatically. We forget about it, right? Yeah, you know, we started working on Cloak in 2012, and at the time, the state of the art in the marketplace was really you would go to a VPN provider and you would download like an open VPN configuration file. So you'd look at a file with a bunch of VPN protocol information and IP addresses, domain names, and then you'd have to download some open source software and like figure out how to tie it all together. And we kind of looked at it and said, you know what, nobody actually wants to think about a VPN. These are things that are useful, and we definitely think there are good use cases for them that people should adopt, Uh, but nobody's going to adopt it if they have to think about it. So the philosophy of Cloak from day one was that it should fade into the background and be your silent security partner. At worst, it should be a button that you have to remember to turn on. And at best, it shouldn't even be that, which is why we have the auto secure functionality built right into all our clients. Um, and, you know, the only time Cloak should kind of wave its hands and get in your face uh, is when things are going wrong. Uh, obviously, local networks present a wide variety of challenges. It's not always possible to guarantee a secure connection on any given network. And so that's when Cloak wants to stand up and say, hey, we're having trouble. Sorry about that. But other than that, we want to fade into the background and be your silent security partner. Yeah, yeah. Um, we on this show had Donald Burr come on and teach us how to create our own a VPN server out of an old Mac and oh, cool. it was awesome. It was so geeky and hard and complicated. <laughs> it was amazing. And we did the VPN profiles, the open VPN on our phones. And it was, it was horrible, of course, but it was really, really fun <laughs> to learn. Um, but so I have actually done that myself. I stopped doing it a while ago when I got cloak, but I've now got a, a Netgear Nighthawk X8 that's got open VPN mm-hmm. built in. For the right. life of me, Dave, I can't figure out how to get that thing to work. I, I've done the OpenVPN profiles with it, and it just won't play with me. Yeah, I've heard that people have a lot of trouble setting up on their routers. And of course, you have to have uh, either a VPN provider uh, that offers an OpenVPN configuration profile directly. That's not something we do at Cloak just because of where our philosophy stands. Uh, yeah. Or or you have to stand up a VPN, an OpenVPN server yourself, which... Um, is a totally doable thing. You can find instructions out there, but it's a lot of work. And then you have to maintain it, right? Yeah, uh, obviously, yeah, yeah. like if, if you care about the security of your connection, you need to make sure that your backend server is up to date with all the latest patches, et cetera. So it's a lot of work. Um, and I think for a lot of people, it makes sense to offload that work to a trustworthy provider. Well, that's, that's a good place for us to cut over then to uh, what's actually happened recently and why we wanted to talk about this. And we, we want to try to be as clear as possible without being political. That's going to be Dave and my goal. And All right. That's a good line in the sand. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a tightrope to walk here, but we'll, yeah. we'll, tr- we'll try to do this. So um, the United States president signed legislation that reversed privacy rules that would have, had they gone into effect, would have prohibited our Internet service providers from selling our Internet browsing history. He did not sign legislation that said, go forth and sell all our privacy. That's right. He undid rules that would have kept them from doing that, which could, in effect, end up being the same thing. But you you wanted to make the point of we aren't actually in a different place today. 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think we, we saw an influx of new customers asking questions about the privacy repeal. Obviously, there was a lot of information and in some cases, misinformation online about the exact nature of it. Really? <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> uh, it is a complicated and subtle thing. Uh, understanding exactly what happened in practice and why is is maybe not so simple. And news organizations didn't always do the best job. But fundamentally, like you said, uh, if you... Um, uh, didn't feel like you needed to protect yourself from your ISP the day before that legislation was signed, chances are probably pretty good that you don't need to uh, feel that way today. Well, it so, could be that you just didn't think about it, though. That's right. I think I think it's always a good time to sit back and reconsider your relationship to your uh, service providers, including your ISP. Um, and, you know, a- another thing that is worth pointing out in this, in this whole question of should I get a VPN for my home, um, I would consider that uh, something to consider only as a last resort. First, I would take a look at my ISP's security or privacy policies. And obviously, it tends to be a lot of legal mumble jumbo, but it's worth working through to understand exactly what promises they are making and what they aren't. And privacy policies are legally enforceable documents in the United States. Um, the repeal that we're talking about was a repeal of rules that were going to be managed by um, the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission. Um, but there's also the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission. They actually are the ones who, when consumers are harmed or when a company makes a legally binding promise like you'd find in your ISP privacy policies and fails to uphold it, uh, they would be the organization that comes in and presumably, uh, you know, enters into a legal action against oh, them. Oh, that's right. That's so, that's where the politics got interesting because part of this is nothing to do with us as consumers. It's two two groups fighting over who gets to control things. That's exactly right. There was a lot of question and disagreement uh, uh, amongst politicians about whether the FCC should manage this or whether the FTC should. And I think most of the privacy rights organizations, the EFFs of the world, the ACLU, felt very strongly it should be the FCC for a couple of reasons. Uh, One reason is that the FCC has the right to uh, set broad rules before any known harm to consumers. And the FTC tends to come in after harm has been identified oh. to consumers. So there is a, a, there is a pretty interesting subtle difference there. On the other hand, the argument in favor of the FTC was that they already regulate other companies like Google and Facebook who have complex privacy policies. So why shouldn't we put everybody under the same umbrella um, you know, I think they're good arguments in in yeah. favor and in not in favor. And so, I think the ACLU and EFF had very strong arguments not in favor of that idea. Yeah, but that and, that was that was the complexity in the conversation. And and part of the subtlety there is yes, it's true. Google is hoovering up every bit of information about you that you give them, but you yep. have a choice of whether to use them. That's what exactly you, right. If we had infinite choice in our ISPs, I mean, if I had five ISPs to choose from and one of them was being uh, turdly, I could just move over to a different ISP. But I, I happen to actually be in Los Angeles, so I've got I do have two you do have fairly five. good choices. Yeah. Why not have five? Well, two good ones. <laughs> good being high yeah. speed. Uh, but a lot of people have one. And yeah, so you exactly. don't have a choice. So you've got to and they have all of your data. They don't have just when you're talking to Google or just when you're talking to Facebook. They have every single thing you do. They have your email. They have your your Google, your Facebook, your your web searches to look up something about Alzheimer's where suddenly they're selling that to your insurance company to find out whether they should cut your insurance off. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and I think that really is the big difference between the Google and the ISP of the world and the reason why the FCC may have been the more reasonable place to, to find this. So but that was the conversation that I think happened, uh, you know, in in the halls of Congress. Yeah, um, I, I appreciate the distinction there because I did not know what the what the general rule was of what these two groups were supposed to be supposed yeah, to be doing. I did get to testify in front of the FTC once. Huh? I did not realize I was testify until in front of the FTC until I <laughs> walked into the meeting. So that was exciting. It was it about was a merger ex- of some companies and how they had uh, abused their monopoly position. It's surprise FTC testifications. That's, uh, you know, that's always <laughs> exciting, I imagine. Yeah, when I walked in and there's a court reporter, I'm going, what is she doing here? <laughs> but that's a whole um, other story. You brought up the, F, the uh, EFF, and I wanted to bring up one of the reasons I think um, my audience probably got more alarmed about this than, than other audience might have been, is uh, we read about the EFF had, a, um, had determined that Verizon was putting spyware on Android phones that would collect all of your data and, and allow them to sell it. However, 
since that was talked about on my show, and I want to make sure everybody hears this, the EFF has pulled that article after conversations with Verizon uh, because apparently they were testing it on one model of phone. They hadn't deployed it. And the way they tested it was opt in. So it was uh, an idea. It's obviously not the direction that many of us would like to see them go. But it, I mean, it, maybe it was the, the camel nose under the tent. But I think that's why people are more alarmed than they, they were before. Interesting. Yeah. And I know that um, with Verizon in particular, they got um, found out, well, it was probably a couple of years ago now, they were doing some kind of traffic injection into HTTP traffic for their yeah. customers. Yeah, um, actually they were changing pretty- websites, right? Yeah, in, injecting some kind of cookies, uh, presumably to improve ad tracking. Um, I don't remember the exact details of that. It was a little while back, but I definitely remember that they were found out and organizations like the EFF really kind of slapped them down and they quickly reversed course there. So I imagine that uh, when you see something like that Android story, uh, it given it's that believable. it's coming from Verizon, yeah, it's believable <laughs> and you might want to keep an eye on it. So it's, well, it's nice remember. to hear that they Resolved quickly. Well, resolved. They said we're basically holding like the article is still up, but it has lines through it. So you can still read it. And it says until we un- understand this further, we're leaving this in a uh, in a temporary state. So they're not saying, yeah, go Verizon. They're awesome. <laughs> uh, but, you know, uh, how many people would stand up and say, yay, Time Warner Cable. Man, that is my favorite company to do business. No. With. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Nobody or would or say that. Comcast, or, you know, all of these companies are just <laughs> evil in their in their bylaws, it seems, compared to other companies, you know. Yep. They other definitely... industries, I should say. They don't have the customer at the core of their heart, I, I would say, or it doesn't doesn't seem that I have. I, I use Comcast and I, I've never felt that they really have a warm heart for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I actually never had trouble with Time Warner in the entire. I was with them for like 15 years as as companies mutated into them and I never had trouble with them. But I would not say the way I gushed about Cloak. You won't hear me saying that about any ISP I've ever had. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, so. Well, Oh, go ahead. So I, I would say we were talking about your ISP privacy policies and how important it is to understand that. Obviously, if you don't like your ISP's privacy policies and you have the opportunity to go find a different ISP, um, that seems like a great uh, decision to make, in my opinion. In general, if you don't trust your immediate upstream to do the right thing, I think you've got pretty big fish to fry. Um, mm. But like you mentioned, uh, multiple ISPs really aren't an option in a lot of parts of the United States and other countries, too. Um at that point, that's where I'd back off and consider a VPN. Okay, I can't get a better ISP. I don't like the privacy policies of my current ISP. Um, that's when I might think that I want to trade off my ISP's security for and privacy policy for a VPN's privacy policy. And it's worth pointing out that that really is a trade-off, right? You're replacing your ISP with your VPN. Um, and, and, and but so we have a VPN, choice of VPN service providers. So if we look at cloaks <laughs> and we go, hmm, don't like that, I can choose somebody else. That's exactly right. Uh, You know, as a class, it's worth pointing out that VPN providers are typically far less scrutinized than, uh, you know, the large ISPs. So I often wonder if the trade-off is a clear win. But like a good VPN provider should have clearly stated privacy policies, and those policies should be legally enforceable. I don't know realistically if the FTC is going to spend a lot of time enforcing uh, you know, the privacy policies of a small VPN company, but it's worth considering uh, when you're looking for a VPN provider. Well, I do like what I've been seeing online lately is a lot of websites uh, have uh, generated traffic by making the top five VPN providers, but several <sighs> of them have compared the privacy policies. They've got little grids that say, this is the things we measure them against and here's how they did. And so that is some someone is reading it for you, which is kind of nice to narrow it down and then you can read it yourself just one or two instead of 20. Yeah, absolutely. I do worry. Uh, I'll, I'll say two things about that. First of all, sites that have the like top five VPN providers, it's worth uh, when you see those kinds of rankings, asking yourself whether those are independent editorial rankings. Usually the reviews of the VPN companies themselves are independent editorial, but the order in which they appear in the rankings may not be. Oh, and in gosh. fact, uh, the VPN world is rife with affiliate marketing deals. If you uh, search mm-hmm. Google for um, VPN affiliate programs, you'll find all sorts of interesting stuff about how you too can be an affiliate. So generally- <laughs> I could be making more money. Yeah. Generally, when you see those rankings, for example, if you go to Google and you search for best VPN provider, yeah. all the top hits, including ones from what appear to be reputable sources, you know, uh, sites oh, like CNET. Oh, my gosh are in fact driven by affiliate marketing oh, money. They and are? so th- 
the number one VPN in those rankings isn't necessarily the one that the editors thought was the best. It's the one that pays the best. Okay, uh, in case you uh, don't believe Dave, <laughs> I just wrote VPN affiliate into Google and skipping past Google's ads, best high paying <laughs> VPN affiliate program, Joe and I are affiliate uh, program, Express VPN affiliate program, VPN affiliate program. I mean, I've got pages and pages and pages of hits yeah. of how to join. Here's wow. here's the top one. Pure VPN affiliate program. Promote today, become rich tomorrow. I like oh that. Now that's gosh. the top hit I'm seeing. <laughs> so there is a lot okay. of money there. And, Good to know. you know, it's hard for me to believe that the VPN company that pays the most to its affiliate partners is necessarily the one that's the most trustworthy. I, I wouldn't necessarily think that it's not the case, but uh, the two seem misaligned. And so I think the economic mm -hmm. incentives are somewhat stacked against it. Now, the good websites that offer those one to five rankings will tell you somewhere in their fine print that this these rankings are generated via affiliate fees or something like that. They won't say that this is independent editorial. And like I said, the actual reviews, if you click through, will tend to be independent editorial. But you kind of wonder how independent things really are in practice. Wow. Uh, so that's, I am not that's being just, paid by Cloak, just so everybody knows. <laughs> I pay Cloak, yeah, just so we, you know. Let there be no doubt. <laughs> we appreciate it. Um, yeah, so I, I wonder about that. Um, I don't – I especially when I read things like promote today, become rich tomorrow. I wonder, I really wonder about how ethically sound all of this really is in practice. I've got to get um, that link from you because I think I'm going to take a screenshot and make that be the <laughs> featured image for this blog post. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of the state of affiliate marketing. And that may not be obvious if you're just searching I for best, best would VPN. would never have guessed it. Would never yeah. guess it, Dave. Okay, well, then, let, let me pick at a, at a detail. One of the things, uh, like you said, we're doing, we have a relationship with our uh, ISP that we may or may not dislike or trust them. And we're going to yeah. say, okay, I don't trust them. I don't have any choice. I'm going to go with a VPN provider. Now I've just shifted my trust because now if I choose Cloak, Cloak has yeah. a server. That server is collecting all of my data. You now a, know whether I'm searching for for Alzheimer's online. That's exactly right. We are your immediate upstream provider. Okay, and, so a lot of just sites, like your ISP. A lot of sites have said, does that does that VPN provider log the data? Right. You guys do log the data, but you we keep do. it for 16 days. Can you explain that and what the logic is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you know, our goal as a so first of all, I would say that uh, privacy policies of VPN providers vary widely. And there are some that uh, claim that they don't log. And there are some that claim that they don't log and I suspect probably log at least a little bit in order to keep their network free of abuse. And then there are ones like us who try to explicitly enumerate in our privacy policies everything that we do in practice. And so when it comes down to logging, our attitude is pretty simple. We obviously want to log very little. We're not actually logging all the stuff you're doing online. What we are logging, um, well, technically what we're logging is every time you start a new connection to some out server out there in the, in the cloud, we log um, – uh, a timestamp and a, what's called an ephemeral port number. Uh, you've probably heard of port 80 or port 443, the HTTP ports. Uh, ephemeral ports are just randomly assigned to you along the way. So that's all the information we we keep around. We keep around a timestamp and a port number. Oh, in theory, really? If, yeah. If in theory, if somebody broke into one of our servers, you know, heaven forbid, somebody managed to find their way onto one of our servers and stole that log data, they would have absolutely nothing useful at, at their disposal. It's meaningless information. However, oh, wow. if somebody um, if somebody comes and knocks on their door and said, hey, at this time, using this port number, somebody was downloading a movie illegally from uh, from your server, uh, we would be able to tie the threads together because, of course, we also have a timestamp and a port number. So it's anonymous data, but if somebody has complementary data and knocks on our door, we're able to tie it together. And this is how we manage abuse on our network. You know, so, our well, goal. Let, let me let me Sorry. pull at that thread if to yeah. to pun all over you. Uh, so <laughs> so if I I come to you, I'm Time Warner, and I say, hey, we know that somebody was downloading this video at this time. Uh, you could find that time stamp right. and that port number and how how would that port number know that it was a video though uh well we wouldn't know it's it's a video but if somebody knocked on our door and said this port number is a video we would we would have every reason to believe them because but they there, knew isn't the same port number do all kinds of stuff oh uh it could in theory uh but no one person is using the same port number at the same time on the same server. Oh, so it's oh, it's unique okay. at any given point in time. Yeah, okay, port number it's, is unique. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay, I gotcha. So stepping back to what the philosophy for Cloak is, it's really simple. Um, 
you know, we want to be transparent as a VPN network in the sense that if you abuse us, um, you should expect the same outcome as you would get if you abused our upstream. Um, and this allows us to do that in a way that we think both maintains your privacy, but allows us to be meaningfully responsive to abuse requests. And there's a good reason that a company like us might want to be responsive to abuse requests. It isn't just because you we, might need to we, define what like, abuse is in this context. Sure. I don't know what it is. Well, so in, in network terms, uh, the most common abuse request we would ever see is a DMCA complaint. DMCA is the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Right. And it's basically somebody who says, hey, you know what? Somebody was downloading this movie and uh, we own the copyright on this and it shouldn't have happened. That's that's a DMCA notice. That okay, is. So you're not talking about life. denial of service or spam. You're talking about someone has a court order to come back and request information from you. Well, uh, so court order is a different thing entirely. DMCA provides its own sort of legal framework. And, yeah. and I'll tell you what happens when a DMCA request reaches us. We take a look. Uh, if it's recent, we take a look at who the customer was and we just send the email on to them. And that's it. Uh, we don't. The email tell- address of the of the customer. Oh, no, absolutely not. No, no, no. Uh, we send the email that we got saying, hey, you shouldn't have downloaded this movie to our customer. Oh, not uh, the other way around. No, absolutely not the other way around. We would never do that. Uh, and okay. the DMCA absolutely does not require us to do that. So, yeah. Uh, what, what are they requiring you to do? Uh, they're simply requiring us to be responsive to requests like oh, this. Oh, and the request uh, is, please tell them to stop doing that. Yeah. And so oh, we reply and say, oh, okay. We reply to the copyright holder and we say, thank you for letting us know. And that is the end of our conversation with them. Okay. <laughs> that okay. is the beginning and the end. I'm of glad we kept pulling at that thread. I really would have thought you meant but the you, other way around. But you might ask, like, why do we bother to do this? Why wouldn't we just drop all these requests on the floor? Well, one is that, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's actually very simple. Um, if we did drop the requests on the floor, what would happen is that our current upstream providers, you know, our upstream providers would knock on our door and say, hey, you know what, you're kind of abusing our network. We'd like you to go now. And, and by you know, abusing the network, you mean? We're uh, letting a lot of, you know, copyright violations go okay. over the network, okay. right? So our upstream providers would knock on our door and say, hey, you need to leave us now. And so we'd have to find less good upstream providers, upstream providers with less good IP address space, with less good security policies and privacy policies of their own. Um, well, and that would be upstream from you. Uh, so right now, the primary upstream provider for us is SoftLayer. Um, they are actually wholly owned by IBM, and they have but, a very big global what network. It, what is it? Uh, SoftLayer is a big cloud provider. So we rent servers from SoftLayer. Ah, there you and go. It, okay. And, and, That's and, what I'm for, servers. Right. So we okay. piggyback on their network. Okay. And actually, uh, so they would knock on our door and say, hey, you need to go now. And we would have to go find a less good provider, a less reputable provider, one with worse privacy policies of their own. Okay. Um, and we've played with that in the past just to see what the experience for our customers would is like. And what we find is that um, the kinds of websites that our customers do want to access, the Facebooks of the world, take a look at the IP addresses for these less good providers. And they say, you know what? We're not going to let you access Facebook from here. And oh. so the whole experience of using Cloak as a VPN provider gets a lot worse as a result. Okay. Defeating so, the you purpose. Know, yeah, defeating the purpose in a way. It's like, what's the point of using a VPN if you can't use the internet after the, the way you'd like to after you turn on the VPN? So there is a balance to be struck here, and different providers choose different points on that scale. And we've chosen one that I'm pretty comfortable with. I think it both maintains our customers' privacy, uh, is respectful of it, uh, but also gives us just enough leverage to to manage like really bad behavior on our network. Um, other providers, uh, like I said, will claim no logs. That might be a better place to land philosophically. I don't really know. I kind of go back and forth on this. But it might um, be a worse place to land from a from a usability perspective. That's right. Um, yeah. Uh, like you say, the data you're collect or you're you're logging for 16 days is not it, data that anybody can do anything with. That's right. It's it's completely meaningless unless you who happen to have some other source of information that ties to it. Right. Um, so and that's I think that's a in, really, in a in a sweeping net of NSA ness, it's <laughs> yeah. it's not useful information or to be sold for uh you know if somebody got a hold of it and wanted to sell it for advertising there's no information to really help you there yeah help that's them that's, there 
That's exactly right. And, you know, I, I would say this is another thing to look for in the VPN privacy policy. Since you mentioned it, a lot of VPN companies will leave the door open to monetizing your data in some way. Hmm. Um, you know, uh, they can turn around and sell in metadata about what you're doing. You know, they don't even necessarily need to sell personal information. They can sell it in aggregate um, to providers who would be very interested in learning uh, what types of traffic VPN networks see. Yeah. Um, so the the main people to check privacy policies on that specific thing would be the free ones, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> free uh, free yeah. is probably you don't even have to read the policy to find out whether that's bad. Freemium yeah. might be a good one to look at. Like I know TunnelBear is a pretty reputable company and I've played around yeah, with they that. Are. That's pretty good stuff. They have a free model. You can have a sip of VPN from time to time and not cost anything, but they have good models to, to make revenue. So following the money yeah, absolutely. That's exactly right. You want to follow the money. You want to make sure that your VPN provider has a um, a a actual sustainable business model, and that that, <laughs> that business model is yeah, that isn't <laughs> you. That that it is aligned with your interests. And so yeah, like you said, when you see a v, free VPN provider, I generally assume those are not things you want to use at all, um, because they have to be making money somehow. Uh, nobody runs a VPN network out of the goodness of their heart, I don't think. <laughs> it's just it's just not how it works. Uh, and we've seen, at least in one case, there was a free VPN provider called Hola um, that people discovered. Uh, they were basically turning around. They weren't just selling your data. They were selling access to your computer if you installed oh, their software. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, oh so my gosh. This is, they were a little bit sketchy about what i mean they were not very forthcoming about exactly what they were doing and they were selling it through this other company oh, i think it was called lumiere i can't remember the name so that did they that have was, in their privacy really policy we're gonna uh sell access to your computer i mean they claim that their privacy policy covered it but i think that most legal people who looked at it did not feel that that was the case wow. uh so i I would say that, you know, you see that that's an extreme example, uh, but a good a good proof point that maybe free VPNs are not the place you want to be. Yeah. Um, but like you said, freemium is great. Uh, Tunnel Bear has a great reputation in the industry and they have really cute, uh, awesome the branding. Yeah, the yeah, they have just, amazing branding. I love their branding. It's really, uh, really well done. <laughs> I, it's funny. Yeah. The only time I ever used it, uh, a VPN to uh, bypass copyright or whatever the, the term would be in this context was when I wanted to watch the U.S. women's gymnastics on the Olympics and the United States provider was not showing it. Oh, so I had to pretend I was in England in order to watch it on BBC in the yep. in, So I didn't feel bad about that one. No, people do this all the time. Um, Cloak isn't a terribly good tool for it just because we don't focus on that as a feature we want to offer. Like we're very ruthlessly focused on keeping you secure on networks you don't yeah. trust. I used to but other providers. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say. And and the reason that uh, we don't focus on it, uh, you know, we, we started as a very small company, um, just basically two, three of us for, for many, many years. Um, and uh, in order for the BBC to think that you're in London, we need to give the BBC an IP address that they perceive to be in London. And so you basically get into this game of whack-a-mole where, yeah. you know, you get an IP address that the BBC accepts for a month and then they stop accepting it. They're like, haha, we, we know you're a VPN provider now. Okay. Uh, and then you have to change your IP addresses. And like, we just did not want to play whack-a-mole. Yeah, it's a totally different business and one that other people have entered into, but that was not the business that we personally wanted to enter no, into. I personally have always said that I think we should get BBC for free because they get all the cool pictures from NASA for free. <laughs> I just think that's a good trade. Uh, yeah, I, there you go. That's my view. I, I wanted uh, to ask another question. When we start looking at, at uh, doing it for your home network, and it was actually Listener Bob who had asked some questions about this. Should you expect a slowdown to your network, however it is, you're, whether you're in a coffee shop or whether you're doing it at home, should you expect your network to slow down because you're using a VPN? And if so, by how much? Right. Uh, so the answer is yes. It's unavoidable that a VPN will slow down your connectivity. And the reason is, is because uh, normally, let's say you were going to visit Facebook directly, uh, your traffic would presumably get routed over the Internet from wherever you are, the coffee shop or your house, to, to Facebook directly. Um and when you use a VPN, obviously you're sending your data to your VPN provider server first, and then we have to send it onward to Facebook. So and so your data kind of takes a detour. This is the speed of light we're talking about here. 
Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, the internet doesn't rally at the speed of light, sadly. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> sometimes have... I think it's going to Mars and back when things take a long time. Yeah, um, it, I mean, it, so the answer to your question of how by how much is it's going to vary wildly, hmm. and there's sort of two numbers uh, that you want to look at, and that's the latency hit to your connectivity. Um, if you use like speedtest.net or um, a similar website, um, that'll be shown as your ping time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, ru- they're roughly equivalent. And um, that's how long it takes for your data to get to its destination and back again. Okay. Um, so that's going to be measured in milliseconds, probably. Hopefully uh, and not then, seconds. Yeah, hopefully not <laughs> seconds. <laughs> uh, and then there's the question of bandwidth. Uh, and that's sort of how fat the pipe is between you and, and wherever you're trying to get to. Um, and those two numbers uh, are going to be quite different. Uh, and those And the things that you have to do as a VPN provider and the things that are under your control as someone who cares about performance as a VPN provider are quite different between the two. So for um, latency and ping time, what you really care about is kind of how close to me in some sense is the VPN server that I'm talking to. Um, And so this one reason why you want your VPN provider to have a fairly large global footprint, Uh, the larger, the better. Because the closer to you, the server, presumably the better the outcome is going to be. Uh, Cloak, kind of takes care of this behind the scenes. Like I said, we have a pretty big global network. We're not the biggest VPN provider. We're definitely not the smallest either. Um, But uh, uh, Cloak will automatically select the fastest available server from the perspective of latency every time you secure your connection. So you said you're in LA, you'll probably connect to our data centers that are down there. If you go fly somewhere else, you'll probably connect to data centers automatically that are there and you just never actually... Actually, it was pretty funny when we were in... I mentioned this on the show last week when we were in Peru. uh, Of course, Cloak kicked in when we were at the hotel and all of a sudden Google was in Polish. Uh, Polish? Yeah. Well, that is surprising. Yeah, you uh, thought maybe somewhere in South America would have been closer, but it was pretty funny. We, I mean, there was a button that said, <laughs> get it in English, but it was the first thing we were like, well, that's interesting. Huh. That is that is interesting. I would guess that Google is taking a look at the IP address we're giving you somewhere in South America. We do have endpoints in South America. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and it's getting confused and thinking, hey, I bet this is in Poland when really it's not. Oh, okay. So yeah, that's another <laughs> thing we see from time to time is like people will like uh, go turn on the VPN and then they'll go to a website like what is my IP address? Mm-hmm. And that website will say you're in Poland. Well, it's taking a guess based on the IP address it's seen. That guess may be right or maybe wrong. I mean, fundamentally, if you want to get down to it, IP addresses have nothing to do with where you are in the world, yes. right? And that's why <laughs> all those takedown things about people being in trouble for their IP address is invalid. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's kind of silly. And that doesn't prevent people from doing what's called GeoIP, trying to guess based on your IP address and based on past information where you actually are. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as, as you probably saw when you connected when you were in Peru, uh, that isn't always reliable. Even Google gets it wrong sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, that's a good example. Uh, back yeah. to the slowdown thing. So I, I ran a test and I saw I've got really good internets here. I've, it was around, I don't know, 80, 90 megabits per second. And mm-hmm. it dropped down to 82 something like yeah. that. So it's still very respectable. But yeah. Mr. Bob lives in a super rural area. I mean, he's mm-hmm. in Idaho. He's in the woods. He, to get updates to his Mac, he has to pack up his iMac and drive it to the Apple store. because it, it, <laughs> that's. And he's only got two gigabytes a month of, of data. But he saw sure. this huge slowdown, like a 75% slowdown. That's really so interesting. So you're thinking that's probably because he's got a VPN provider that's not got a global network of servers? Well, you know, like I said, uh, I was talking about latency and then there's the question of bandwidth. Like that's your up your how many megabits do you get up and down? And that's a much harder one for VPN providers to sort of solve for. Hmm. So much of the Internet is distributed. The question of how the Internet decides to route traffic through the VPN to the VPN provider and then from there to wherever it was originally going to go is somewhat up in the air and somewhat not in the control of the VPN provider. It's not in your necessarily in your control either. There are things you can do as a VPN provider. You can make sure you have good peering, a bunch of stuff like that. But fundamentally, that's the harder part of the puzzle to solve for. And so you will see customers who... Uh, uh, it's inevitable that globally as a VPN provider, you will see customers who see performance hits like that on your network um, where they don't with some other provider. And you'll look at the difference and you'll say, well, that other provider's data center is kind of nearby. It might even have some of the same peers, but it doesn't have some of the other ones. Uh, hard to say exactly why it's so slow in oh, practice. So you're, you're saying even um, with Cloak, just because I have a, a low latency and, and low reduction in speed, 
that might if they if Bob used Coloc he might not have the same experience. Yeah, he might not. Location. I, yeah, exactly right. And I would okay. certainly hope anywhere in the United States that he would. We've really focused very heavily on that as one of our performance goals. But um, that's one reason why we offer a 14-day free trial. We really want people to test yeah. uh, our network and see how it performs for them in the places where they will be using it regularly. Um, uh, that's good to know. I didn't know you guys had a free trial. Uh, I probably took advantage of that way back when. And <laughs> I, I do want to say one other good thing about Cloak that I liked was if you don't use the data very often it's it's you can do what is it four dollars a month or three dollars a month it's three a month we have something called the mini plan which lets you secure up to five gigabytes of data a month which really for a lot of people like how often are you really out and about using untrusted networks right if it's a tiny bit uh then then it's a great plan and it's really inexpensive that compared worked to really, pretty much really everybody. Well for me for a long time and then i retired and i started traveling all over the world and that all just uh, it's just so oh, screw that you're like and, okay <laughs> well and you guys let if you run out of your five gigabytes you can jump up to the ten dollar month plan there's prorating blah 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 but yeah i mean you yeah. just you just made it easy that was actually when i started really using and cloak more was when I knew I could buy sips of internet or a lot of inter- internet, whichever I wanted. Um, right. That back on Bob's problem, he he's got a very strange situation, but it's it's really interesting. It probably doesn't apply to anybody else, but I think it's a really interesting problem. So, like I said, he's in the backwoods in Idaho. He's got two gigabytes a month of uh, data allowance. He was furious with with Apple when they turned on auto updates to the operating system. Oh, no. So he was, I mean, they cost him like 50 bucks one month because he had to buy all new internet for the month because they used all of it overnight one night. So anyway, he has shut all that stuff off, but he's been running with a VPN at home and all of a sudden he's out of data and he says, maybe I'm doing something else, but would I use Uh, more data because I'm using a VPN? Probably not. Uh, I think it's probably a wash in practice. It's really hard to measure precisely what the hit to your your sort of data usage is actually going to be. Obviously, we encrypt your data. That might... it make it a little bit larger, but we also compress it. So it's it's probably a basically a that's washing a, practice. Or, that's probably a red herring. There's something else he's doing. He had allowed that that was possible that he just forgot he watched YouTube for five straight hours or something. Yeah, <laughs> or some some background backup app was you know off doing its thing and and it wasn't obvious that that was happening. Like any of those things is possible. I'm guessing the VPN provider is 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 kind of a red herring there. Okay. All right. Well, let's get to George's questions then. He had a lot of questions, but I've I've uh, limited him to two here. Um, <laughs> So his question was, can a client of a VPN service verify the VPN service is not intercepting and monitoring the client's traffic, or does the client have to accept the VPN service on faith? Right. Uh, It is sort of a faith-based technology. Uh, Fundamentally, like we've talked about, you're sending all of your data to your VPN provider, and there are no technical guarantees or measures that I'm aware of that can allow you to actually um, believe that your VPN provider is upholding their privacy policies. And this is why when you were talking about um, websites that you found that give you sort of like a grid of red and green boxes that talk about, is this property good about this VPN provider or this is not? Uh, I get worried when I see those because they try and present choosing a VPN provider as an objective decision. Um, Certainly there are objective decisions to be made. For example, uh, if the VPN provider only supports a protocol like PPTP instead of a trustworthy protocol, well, like if they only support PPTP, uh, that means they don't care about security at all because it's a completely insecure protocol. That would be useful to know. And and Um, that's subjective. I I mean, that's objective. That is objective. Right. But if you go to these sites and all you try and do is find the one that checks the the VPN provider that checks the most boxes, I do worry that you might get led a little bit astray uh, because a lot of deciding what VPN to use comes down to subjective measures, basically trust signaling. Um, And and these include things like, uh, you know, do they have questionable or sketchy product marketing and SEO? Uh, what is the transparency of their technical architecture and decisions? Uh, what kind of privacy policy do they have and what kind of assurances can they provide about it? Uh, are they open to independent third-party technical audits? Do they appear to have ethical business practices? And like we talked about earlier, is there an actual sustainable business model? You know, These are all things that I would personally look for. Uh, in a VPN provider that aren't measurable objectively, unfortunately. And worse than that, uh, if you just go to an arbitrary VPN provider and attempt to answer those questions in some meaningful way, I think that typically you'll find it's quite hard to answer each and every one of those questions. You know, in my book, the VPN providers that make it easy to do so kind of stand at the hop- top of the heap. And and there are some 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 good ones out there, but uh, they're few and far between. So yeah, I, I do, I, I would say that 
because of this, from a just you know a nerd's perspective, a VPN is sort of a halfway solution. We have this world right now where a lot of our traffic is still unencrypted. A VPN is a partway solution to that problem. An all-the-way solution to that problem is to one day not have a world where part of our traffic is unencrypted, where, <laughs> where everybody uses HTTPS, SSL, or IPsec everywhere. Then you'd be out of a job. you got to invent something new. <laughs> if, as these things improve, that's worse for you guys, right? I, I would consider that a great outcome if oh, consumers no longer needed VPNs for uh, security. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I really believe that's a long ways off. And so, you know, it's there's an opportunity right now to provide a good high quality product that is trustworthy along the way. I like it. Uh, good, good answer, Dave. <laughs> I mean, it, and, it's sort of like, you know, I make a vaccine, but I'd really like that disease not to exist. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, that's exactly right. And, you know, for, from our perspective, um, you know, we see that we hope that that end is in sight. Um, but we also know that there, there are plenty of reasons to use VPN technology that go far beyond that. Typically, for not for consumers, but for small and mid-sized businesses, mm-hmm. uh, businesses with branch offices or data centers that need secure con- connectivity between them. Um, these are things that we find interesting and are building tools to help some of our larger customers with right now. So I, I don't worry about the business as a whole. I think there's a long-term trajectory here, but it does kind of shift focus over, over decades, I expect. If you yeah. ask me what day is is it what you know how many years out are we until everything is https everywhere i wouldn't even be able to hazard a guess you know <laughs> yeah. is it five or is it 50 i really don't know well even um, if it, even if it were five you'd find some some part of yahoo that was still using md5 or something you know it, yeah. you, you, even uh, if it was the rule going forward uh, it wouldn't be executed for decades right that's that's right uh you know just the reality of security is it'll always be applied unevenly across the the internet i think it that'll always be the case yeah it seems like that well, so a subtlety of this is how dns works with a vpn and george asks can a client of a vpn service verify uh wait no that was the wrong one sorry Rereading oh. his his second question was: If I'm connected to a VPN service such as Cloak, does the yeah. VPN intercept all of my internet traffic and route even DNS requests through the VPN? It had really better. Uh, so the answer is yes. If if your VPN provider knows what it's doing, then yes, all your uh, DNS requests should go through the secure VPN tunnel. Uh, that's so really if critical. you do a VPN at your house on your router, like if I could ever figure out how to get uh, the VPN <laughs> to work on my. Um, on neck my ear. neck ear, yeah. I th- would my my DNS would be in the clear first, right? Uh, no. Uh, the moment, presumably, the moment you turned on um, the VPN on at the router level, you would also get updated DNS server information, and so your DNS request would go into that VPN tunnel too. But that would be no my VPN hope. server that it's attached to that's anywhere but here. Uh. Oh, so you would presumably you have a VPN. Oh, I see. If you ran a VPN server at home that you could yeah, connect to on my ne- oh, yeah. on my neck ear. Oh, okay. Uh, I would okay. So then you're at the coffee shop and you're VPNing back home. Right. Um, That's presumably the problem. Yeah, presumably that is the opposite problem. But presumably in that case, your your domain name request would also get sent to your house before they got sent onward. Right, but they would be coming uh, from my house when I when I'm in yeah. the coffee shop and I'm looking up Alzheimer's. That would still go. That would to be associated with my basically. my ISP. Right. Yeah, right. that's exactly right. So, but if if you've got a a VPN service that is somewhere else, the server is not at your house. Right. Like cloaks, and you do a DNS lookup, that is encrypted, right? That's exactly right. Uh, and, and that's a really important technical point about how a consumer VPN should work. A consumer VPN that um, doesn't secure your DNS is probably fundamentally broken. Yeah, I, that certainly, certainly makes sense <laughs> to me. Yeah. Well, that was actually the end of the questions I had. Is there anything else oh, I haven't asked you that I should have been smart enough to ask you about on this topic? I don't know. It seems like we kind of co- covered a wide uh, range of topics here. That was fun. Yeah. Um, wow. I learned, I learned so much more than I expected to learn. This is, uh, I thought I knew the answers to the questions and I would just be spoon feeding and you to tell me what I already knew, but I learned a lot more, especially get rich quick tomorrow. I got to sign up for that. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, exactly. We should all be VPN affiliates. Forget being a <laughs> VPN provider itself. Um, no, I, you know, actually your email to me, like before we, we had this conversation convinced me to like kind of write up my thoughts on it just so I had them slightly organized in my head before I said hello to you today. Um, and I actually put it up on my blog. Uh, so, so you said you wanted to get a picture of that, that top link that I was reading. Yeah. And I actually, it's funny. I actually took a screenshot of exactly that because <laughs> I just thought, I just thought the idea of like get rich quick with VPN was hilarious to me. Um, and also kind of uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'll, I'll send you a link to that. But, Fantastic. Uh, so you, you have a blog that you do independent of your day-to-day job? Yeah. I mean, I have a personal blog and then of course I also, uh, am typically the person blogging on the cloak blog as well. Although okay. that, yeah. So I, I just blog wherever it feels appropriate on a, on a given day. <laughs> but I'm oh, this blog. one. This one, I, I kind of tied it to Cloak at the end, but I really wanted to keep it independent of Cloak because there are plenty of reputable VPN providers out there, but it is so difficult to sort the wheat from the chaff. And, you know, I really don't want to say you have to choose one over the other. Uh, I want to help people make wise decisions that go beyond just the like red and green boxes on a given website. Um, yeah, I do or, know that or the top I, five rankings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that certainly changed my view on that. I do know that I went uh, straight to Google and I typed in Cloak. VPN uh, privacy policy and immediately was able to find a blog post by you that said what it was and outlined precisely the decisions that you'd made and why you had made the decision. So it was, it was just nice to not have to, I mean, it was not nearly as hard as it's been trying to find out what channels I can get on Time Warner. I mean, (laughs) I spent an hour and a half this morning trying to figure that out, but I, I mean, I just immediately got to the information I wanted. That is, that's really uh, nice to hear, actually. And like I said, we, we try and be very upfront about what our policies are. They're not the same as everyone else's. Um, the decisions that led us there are not like, I mean, obviously it took us 45 minutes to kind of step through some of that. Um, I, I do think there is room for subtlety and thoughtfulness in, in providers. And I, and I like seeing that out of other providers. Uh, and uh, it's always a positive sign in my book. Definitely. All right. So you've also got uh, your blog is also an audio podcast that isn't published on iTunes, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. For better or for worse. What's, what's the URL? I'll, I'll type it down here, but you'll give me the, the rest of that. Yeah, sure. Oh, just my personal blog. It's yeah. just Dave Peck, D-A-V-E-P-E-C-K dot O-R-G. Cool. Uh, yeah. Well, very good. You've got a great radio voice and uh, and you know a lot of stuff. So I'm going to definitely check that out. Well, this is hey, this has been so much fun. I really enjoy it. I know I tried to get Peter on the show, but uh, but I think I think you did fine anyway. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, it was it was really fun, uh, and happy to answer any follow up questions you have. Uh, you know, feel free to say hello. Oh, perfect, perfect. All right, we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks so much, Allison. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. We are now supported by Patreon. So if you go over to podfeet.com slash Patreon, you can pledge your support to the show in weekly installments. If you don't have money to spare, I understand that. And it would be great if you used our Amazon affiliate links when you buy things on Amazon anyway, and a little bit of money goes to help the show. I love feedback, so please send me email at allison at podfeed.com. And you can join in our Facebook group over at podfeed.com slash Facebook and our community at podfeed.com slash Google+. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.